I want to say thank you to Chris and to Lou for filling in for me while I was gone. And uh, I know they did a great job and you guys were blessed by their ministry of the word the last couple weeks, the last week. And uh, it was good for me to just get away and have a little break, um, even to go to another church and just sit and hear someone else preach. And uh, it really is uh, renewing for me. And I, don't, I, don't, I guess I don't think I need that until I do it. And then I go, wow, that was good. I needed that. And so uh, just last Sunday, listening to another man open up God's word, just renewed my excitement to come back and to continue to do what God has called me to do here at Lakeside Bible Church. And that is to open up God's word and do my best to explain what it means and show you how it applies to our lives and how it should change us and transform us and make us more like Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to share with you um, a foundational principle from the Word of God that I've been meditating on now for some time. I've been seeking to implement it and put it into practice in my own life. And I hope it will be very practical for all of us as we begin, begin a new year together here at Lakeside Bible Church. If you're like me, you experience a sense of exhilaration every January. Uh, it's a new beginning. It's a chance to start all over again. We get a fresh start. We get a clean slate. It's a time to reevaluate. It's a time to refocus. It's a time to resolve. And it's when we all tend to make those proverbial New Year's resolutions, right? Going to lose weight this year. Going to get in shape. Going to exercise. Going to pay off some debt. Going to be less busy, less stressed. Going to spend more time with family or be reconciled to an old friend or a family member that we've gotten sideways with. Or we just want to quit a bad habit. And we could go all morning and share the habits in our lives that we know are not pleasing to the Lord that we desire to resolve to change. And yet our resolve usually begins to wane by the 1st of February, doesn't it? And the exhilaration that we felt on January 1st is replaced by this feeling of frustration. In fact, this all-too-typical cycle has led some people to resolve to never make another resolution. In fact, I was reading an article uh, in last week's Houston Chronicle. It was a... Uh, an editorial where this writer was commending certain resolutions that we should make these resolutions. But he started it all off by saying, I don't make resolutions because I tried all these years to make resolutions. I never keep them, so I don't make them anymore. But if you're going to make them, here's a few you can make. Well, lest any of you, because of past failure, blow off making resolutions this year as nothing more than a useless tradition. Let me remind you of the biblical and historical precedent of making resolutions. Job is a good example. In Job 31.1, he says that he resolved not to look lustfully at a woman. He made a covenant. He resolved. Daniel is another good example. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He made a purpose. He purposed in his heart that he wouldn't compromise. He resolved. Jonathan Edwards stands out head and shoulders in church history as the one who made those 70 resolutions when he was about 18, 19 years of age, embarking on a life of, of ministry and service of Christ. He, he, he wrote down 70 resolves, things that he was going to commit himself to for the rest of his life. So resolutions are a, a good thing. According to Webster, a resolution is a Fixed purpose or intention, a firm determination. To resolve means to make up your mind to do something, to take aim at something, to set a goal. And I believe that resolutions possess powerful potential that by God's grace we can put into practice in our pursuit of Him. Some of you have already made your 
2005 resolutions. Others of you are still thinking about what they need to be. I want to propose to you this morning that all of us make at least one resolution. And not just any resolution. But the one most important resolution that we all need to make. It's the ultimate resolution, the greatest goal, the highest ambition, the magnificent obsession that we just sang about. The supreme overarching purpose of the Christian life, the bullseye, if you will. Because taking aim and fixing our focus on this resolution will keep us from being frustrated by February 1st and feeling like a failure in our spiritual lives. This principle that I'm talking about has really come out most in my mind as I've counseled people. Because when someone comes for counsel, they have a goal. Everyone has a goal. And they come to see me for a reason. Whether they want to change marriage or a changed spouse or a changed kid or a changed physical condition or a changed financial situation. Whatever it is, there's a goal that they have in their minds. And so I asked them, what is your goal? Well, I'd, I'd like to be reconciled to my spouse or... I'd like my spouse to change, or I'd like my kid not to do that, or I'd like my, my prodigal son to come home, or I'd like not to have to deal with this constant chronic pain in my life, or I want, wish I could get out of this debt that I've allowed myself to get into, and, and that's my goal. And I'm quick to tell them that, you know what? I don't know what God's will is for your life, I don't know what he's planned for your marriage or for your child or for your finances or for your health. That's up to the sovereignty of God. And in fact, to have that goal that you have, that's not a bad goal. But if it's your ultimate goal, if that's what you're hanging on to, if that's what you're hoping for, then you may be setting yourself up for major disappointment. Because guess what? Your marriage may never change. And your spouse may never change. And your kid may never come home. And your health may never change. And your financial situation may never change. But I can promise you one thing. That if you make it your goal. That no matter what happens. Whether your marriage gets back put together again. Or the kid stops rebelling or whatever. You, that, that if you respond in a way that is pleasing to God. Then guess what? You're in a win-win situation. You can't lose. Because whether the situation changed or not, you know that God is pleased with you. And isn't that what matters most? That God is pleased with you? Losing weight, getting in shape, paying off debts, reconciling a relationship, quitting a bad habit. These are all good goals. But they're not the best goals. We need to have a greater goal, and that is to be pleasing to the Lord. That's the real issue, isn't it? Pleasing God in the way that we eat. Next time you sit down for a meal, remember 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, whether you what? Eat or drink, do what? All to the glory of God. Three times a day, we have an opportunity to apply that verse practically. There's a reason why Paul got that glory of God thing out of the ethereal, way out there kind of thing, untangible glory to the basics of three meals a day. That we can even do that to the glory of God. It's about pleasing God in the way we take care of our body, right? Right? It's about pleasing God in the way we steward the money that he provides for us. It's about pleasing God in the way we relate to others. It's about pleasing God in everything we say, do, think, and feel. It's about pleasing God. Now this profound principle of pleasing God is weaved throughout the New Testament. It's everywhere. And as I've 
meditated on this theme and attempted to personally apply the key verses and, and passages that talk about pleasing God, I, I took some time just to organize them in my own mind in what seems to me to be a natural flow of thought. In fact, I've come up with a little outline that I have at home in my closet above my desk and in the front of my Bible that I carry with me wherever I go. Because I want to be regularly reminded that this needs to be the primary focus of my life. This is my ultimate resolution, my magnificent obsession. It's, it's far greater than anything I might resolve to do at the beginning of a new year. It's something that I must resolve to do every day for the rest of my life. So I want to share with you my little outline. And maybe you can write it down and put the verses underneath it and maybe you can stick it somewhere in your Bible or in your home that will remind you of the importance of pleasing the Lord. It goes like this. Number one, my daily passion. My daily passion. And I would even say we could say this as a church, that it would be our daily passion, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. When every individual makes this their daily passion, guess what? Our church, this will be the daily passion of our church. You say, what's my daily passion? Very simply, to be pleasing to the Lord. You can write that down. My daily passion, to be pleasing to the Lord. Now let's look at some verses. I'm going to give you a point, and then we're going to look at some verses that fit underneath that heading. And I encourage you to turn with me to these verses. There's going to be a lot of them. It's a little Bible study this morning. Say, but I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out and, and get a pen in your hand. And, and you can, when we go to these verses, underline the section that talks about pleasing the Lord. And you're going to see this so you can turn back to it. And over and over again, you can find these verses again and reread them and meditate on them and memorize them and have it sink deep into the fiber of your life. Let's start with John chapter 8, verse 29. John chapter 8, verse 29, and we'll just set the bar as high as the bar can go. Here's Jesus Christ. John 8, 29. He says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Here it is, Jesus Christ. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. All right, let's close in prayer and go home, right? Can you say that? I can't say that. Only Jesus can say that. He was the only one that could say, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. If we would say that, we'd have to say, I usually do the things that are pleasing to him, or I sometimes do the things that are pleasing to him, or every once in a while I do the things that are pleasing to him, or I'm... I try to do things that are pleasing to Him, but none of us can say we always do what is pleasing to Him. And yet that should be our goal. What is our goal in in life? We just talked about earlier in our communion. To be like who? Jesus Christ. And so if we want to be like Jesus Christ, that means striving to be able to get to the point in our lives where we can say, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Now obviously none of us are going to be able to say that while we're here on this earth, are we? Because we're going to be sinful up until the time we go to heaven. But it should be our goal, right? To get as close to the always as possible that I 99.9% of the time do what's pleasing to him. And so that's where it starts. And Jesus Christ is our example. He's, he sets the standard. He, 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 he leads us like we just sang about, right? Lead me and I will follow you. He's leading us and showing us how to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. That's why he came, to live the life that you and I couldn't live. And to show us how to do it. To be pleasing to him. Well, Paul picked up on this passion for pleasing the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9.
And if you ever come by to, to visit and seek counsel from God's word from me about an issue in your life, you're not going to get out the door without hearing this verse. Because I believe this is where people need to focus. We need to focus our lives. And this is where we find hope in the midst of our pain and our problems. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, Therefore also we have as our what? Ambition. What's an ambition? It's a goal. It's a resolve, right? We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent. In other words, whether I'm here on earth or, or home in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord, it, it doesn't matter. He says we have as our ambition. It supersedes everything to be what? Pleasing to Him. We have as our ambition, our goal, our passion, our obsession to be pleasing to Him. That was the consuming passion of Paul's life, is to please the Lord. Is that your consuming passion? That no matter what's going on, your ambition always stays the same. No matter what's going on in your life, you never have to wonder where, what your goal is, because you always know there's one goal that's the same all the time, and that's that you would please the Lord. Paul exhorted others to have the same passion. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. Paul is talking in the context here of marriage and being single or being married. And in verse 32, this is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is, un, is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may what? Please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. He's not bashing marriage and saying, if you're married, get divorced and be single, because it's better. You serve the Lord better. No, he says, hey, wherever you are when you come to Christ, stay that way. If you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay married to the unbeliever. But he said, hey, the basic fact is this. I commend to you singleness. Why? Because the person that's single... Is concerned about the things of the Lord, primarily how he may please the Lord. So for Paul, it was all about pleasing the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, that was with the Corinthians. Look what he says to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Finally then, brethren... We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and what? Please God. Just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. So Paul said, listen, I already instructed you. You've received instruction from us how you should walk, i.e., namely, how you should please the Lord with your life. I've instructed you. And how to do that. And now I'm, I'm writing again just to encourage you to excel still more. You're doing a good job, but you need to do a better job. But it really all is focused in on, as he describes it, how to live and please God. And then finally, in 2 Timothy 2.4. 2 Timothy 2.4. Just a few pages to the right there. Paul's writing to Timothy here and encouraging him to suffer hardship with him, be a good soldier of Christ Jesus, verse 3. And then 2 Timothy 2.4, he says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may, what? Please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you know what? You're a soldier, man. And you're an active service, and, and God has enlisted you to serve Him and His army. And you know what? No, no soldier entangles himself in the, in the things of the everyday life. Why? Because he has one consuming passion. He wants to please his commanding officer. Isn't that really, when those of you that were in the military, it was all about pleasing that commanding officer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Right? It was all about making him happy. And your, your happiness depended on making him happy, right? 
And isn't that true of the Christian life? That as we, our happiness is, is really built into us making God happy. Pleasing Him. And so we need to have the passion of a soldier and not get entangled in the affairs of everyday life, but daily, our daily passion has to be to be pleasing to the Lord. That's number one. Kind of set that out there, my daily passion. Number two, my daily pursuit. My daily pursuit. You say, what's that? Well, it's a little different. Watch this. My daily pursuit is to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. See, our daily passion is to be pleasing to the Lord. Our daily pursuit then, if that's our goal, we've got to know how to do that. In order to do it, we've got to find out what's pleasing to the Lord, right? If we're going to please the Lord, we've got to know what pleases Him. And so my daily pursuit is to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's look at some verses. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul's talking to the Ephesians and how they, reminding them that they formerly walked in darkness, but now they're in the light, in the Lord, and he says, walk as children of light, live as children of light, this is Ephesians 5, 8, verse 9, he says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, verse 10, trying to learn what? What is pleasing the Lord? He said that is the pursuit of the Christian life is, is to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We got to figure that out. That's our job is to figure it out. Find out what pleases God and what displeases God. You say, how do I do that? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Romans 12. Romans 12. How do we find out what's pleasing to the Lord? Well, God tells us how. Romans 12.1. Those of you with an NIV are going to be one up on us here in the translation. Romans 12. And I'm going to ask you to tell me what word they use because I think it's the, the better word here. Romans 12.1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, therefore, whenever we see a therefore, we have to ask why it's therefore, right? And after 11 chapters of talking about incredible doctrine of salvation and the incredible mercy of God who, though we deserved his wrath, he sent his son Christ to die on the cross in our place that there would be now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. The incredible mercy of God. He says, in light of the mercy of God, in saving you. He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. What does the NIV say? Pleasing to God or acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So you know what pleases the Lord? As when we give everything that we have and everything that we are to him for him to use for his glory and his honor. That we lay ourselves on the altar, if, as you, if you will. And say, here I am, God. I'm all yours. Do with me what you want to do. Use me to make much of you. So it starts with that sacrifice of our entire lives. And when we do that, that is well-pleasing to God. And notice verse 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't become like the world. In fact, be different from the world. Be transformed. Be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. In other words, your mind, your thinking needs to change. And what happens there? That you, here's the purpose, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and NIV, pleasing and perfect to the Lord. What is well-pleasing to the Lord? It uses the word acceptable there in the, in the NAS. Again, so that's how you know what is pleasing to the Lord is when your, your thinking is renewed so that you know what the will of God is. You know 
what pleases God and what displeases God. You know what's acceptable to God and what's not acceptable to God? It's because you're not trying to be like the world, but you're trying to be like Christ. Several places the Bible talks about things that are pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3.20. This is a good one for you kids. Listen closely to this. Colossians 3.20. Don't miss this, kids. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Not just in some things. When you feel like it, right? But be obedient to your parents in all things. Why? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. If, if your kid ever says, you tell your kid to do something, he says, why? You say, because the Bible says that it pleases God. That's why. If I say to do it, you do it. Why? Well, I don't agree with it. It doesn't matter. Well, I think you're wrong. It doesn't matter. I don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. For you to do it pleases God. And for you not to do it displeases God. So obedience... Parental obedience, right, is very simple. You, have to make, you either want to please the Lord or you don't want to please the Lord. That's really what it, what it all comes down to, isn't it? It's not about pleasing your parents. It's about pleasing the Lord. Titus 2.9. Paul encourages those who are slaves. Titus 2.9, he says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Because that pleases the Lord when we submit to the authorities over us. Look at Hebrews 13, 16. Hebrews 13, 16. The writer says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice God is what? Pleased. So God is pleased when we're generous and we're giving, not selfish and taking. That pleases God. And then finally, a verse from our latest small group study, 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. Maybe you picked this one up when we studied it. 1 John 3, 22. John is talking about praying. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are what? Pleasing in his sight. The reason why God answers our prayers is because we're doing what's pleasing in His sight. You say, what is that? Well, look at the verse before, or the phrase before it. Pleasing God is synonymous with keeping His commandments. Do you see that? Because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. You want to be pleasing to the Lord? You keep His commandments. How do you know what His commandments are? Here's the practical application. Read the Bible. <laughs> Read the Bible. So you may have made a resolution. You know, i got to have my quiet time. i, I got to read my Bible more this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. Well, that's a great goal, but that's not the best goal. The best goal is to be pleasing to the Lord. And to get to that goal, to attain that goal, one of the sub-goals is i got to read my Bible. If I want to be pleasing to the Lord, i got to know what pleases them. So i got to read the Bible. i got to figure it out. i got to get in there and study and learn what makes him happy and what makes him sad. You need to study God's Word. God's also revealed in his word the two biggest obstacles or hindrances to pleasing him. Can you guess what those might be? What would be an obstacle in your minds, in your life, to pleasing the Lord? What are the things that you've got to fight against, that you've got to war with? Well, I think there's two. Number one, pleasing others, right? Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, for I'm now seeking the favor of men. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving, stri- trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. He says the same thing. He says, our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. So Paul understood. He was the man that had this incredible obsession 
with whether it's home or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. That was his ambition, to be pleasing to the Lord. And he was admitting that he battled with the temptation to please man. And I think it's important just to remind, to be reminded that, you know what, we're never going to be able to please everybody all the time. So why try? But more importantly, the only one we need to care about pleasing anyway is who? God. And the Bible says when a man's ways are pleasing, this is, uh, I can't remember the psalm it is, but, or the proverb, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him, aren't they? So we just need to focus on, on, on pleasing the Lord and, you know, trust God for everybody else in our life. And when we just focus on pleasing God, you know what? It relieves a whole lot of stress and pressure in our lives, doesn't it? Stop, stop worrying about pleasing your husband or pleasing your wife or pleasing your kids or pleasing your parents or pleasing your in-laws or pleasing your boss or your friends or your neighbors. Forget about it. Focus on pleasing God. And if you are pleasing to God, guess what? You're going to be pleasing to your spouse. You're going to be pleasing to your kids. You're going to be pleasing to your parents. You're going to be pleasing to your boss. You're going to be pleasing. It's going to take care of itself. It's like a byproduct of pleasing the Lord. It's going to happen. And who's going to make it happen? God's going to make it happen. Like I said, that, that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live in peace. So we got a war against trying to be a people pleaser, trying to please everybody. Secondly, we need to fight against pleasing not just others, but who? Ourselves. That's probably the biggest war, isn't it? That isn't probably, that is the biggest war. couple of verses that talk about pleasing ourselves. 2 Timothy 3, 4. It says that Paul was talking about in the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Verse 4, treacherous, reckless, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, we, we care more about pleasing ourselves our sinful nature cares more about pleasing itself than it does about pleasing the Lord. We're encased in a flesh that seeks its satisfaction in everything but God. Hebrews eleven twenty five. Moses' testimony here of faith, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing, what? Pleasures of sin. He chose not to please himself, but to please God. How about James? This one will, this one will preach. This is practical. James 4, 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? I.e., why do you have fights in your house? Here you go. You ready? Want to know why you fight all the time with your spouse and your kids fighting all the time? Why does that happen? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you're envious, envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, why do you fight? Because you want something and you didn't get it, and so you're hacked off about it. And so you argue and you fight because something didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And it says, and when you ask, you even have wrong motives. You're asking for things from God to simply please yourself. And you know that you're growing spiritually when you go from hoping that God will make you happy to hoping that you make God happy. Big difference, right? Think about your prayer life. How much of us are our prayer life focused on, God, I want you to do this because if you just, that'll make me happy. I'll have a better life if these things happen in my life. Instead of, I want to go, Lord, I want to just, I don't care what, I just want to make you, I want to make sure that you're happy with my life. In other words, I exist for you. You don't exist for me. One other verse. This is a new one that I just came across as I, thought through this for this morning. It's Romans 15. This is good. Romans 15, 1 through 3. I can tell your resolve is waning. I hear less turning. 
already. We haven't got through the first message of 2005. Romans 15.1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. And this is great. For even Christ did not please himself. There, if anyone had a right to please himself, it'd be God, right? In human form. And he says Jesus didn't even please himself. In fact, he let people please themselves by crucifying him. And that brought them pleasure. And so our sinful flesh is constantly seeking pleasure for itself. And like I said, even in our prayers, our subtle sinful desire is that God would fulfill our pleasures and make us happy. We can't do that. So that's my daily pursuit, to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And then finally, the third point of the outline is my daily prayer. My daily prayer. My daily passion is to be pleasing to the Lord. My daily pursuit is to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And then here's my daily prayer. And I hope it will be your daily prayer and it will be the daily prayer of our church. You ready? That the Lord would work in me that which is pleasing to him. That the Lord would work in me that which is pleasing to him. Now we're getting down to where the rubber meets the road. A couple verses. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 12 and 13. Familiar verses. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, sweat. Sweat spiritually. To be sanctified. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Check that out. I love the way it says that. For it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what that says? That God is the one who gives us the desire and the ability to be pleasing to him. We can't work that up in and of ourselves, by ourselves. That has to come from only one place, and that's God. I shared this in our equipping hour that I just started reading John Piper's new book, When I Don't Desire God, it's called... Um, and he says that this desire that he's talking about is not something that is natural to our hearts. Our sinful hearts desire everything but God. And our hearts don't desire God the way they should. And so where does that desire come from? Well, it only can come from one place, and it's who made our hearts. To desire him above all else. And so we have to go to God and say, God, you have got to make my heart desire you. Like this. And so we need to understand that God is the one who gives us both the desire and the ability to be pleasing to him. Paul prayed for the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. He says, For this reason, since this day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the standing of steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. And he prays his incredible pastoral prayer for the people that he ministered to. And right in the heart of that is that he was praying that God would help them to please him in all respects. Because he knew they couldn't do it on their own. And then my favorite one I saved for last. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 20 and 21. Talk about a daily prayer. By the way, you can pray that prayer for yourself in Colossians 1 that Paul prayed for the Colossians. You can pray for yourself. Pray for our church. Pray for me. 
You can also pray this prayer, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will. Watch this. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And see, now we've come full circle, haven't we? What was our... What was our goal? Under my daily passion was to be pleasing to the Lord. And who set the example? Jesus. He said, I always do what is pleasing to the Lord. And now we come to the end and say, look, how do we please the Lord? Well, it's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. We can't please the Lord unless the Lord causes us to please him. And so what should that make us do? That should make us want to pray and pray and then pray some more. Because when we're, we realize the duty that we have as Christians to please God, we're overwhelmed with our own weakness and our own inadequacy and our own proneness to failure, which should drive us to the only rational thing to do, and that is to pray, to, to beseech the Lord and to passionately pray with all of our heart and we need to cry out to God and say, oh God, I, will, I, I can't please you and I won't please you unless you help me. And so we plead with God to, that he would turn his face towards us and be gracious to us and merciful to us and cause us to be pleasing to him. I read a little book this last week called A Life of Principal Obedience. It's a, one of my favorite uh, pastors. His name's Al Martin, Trinity Baptist Church in Montville, New Jersey. It's a Reformed Baptist church, and it's just, uh, I don't have time to read this to you. I wish I could, because <laughs> it's really powerful. Hit me over the head like a, ran me over like a Mack truck, I guess. But he just talks about the climate that we must develop in our lives in order to obey the Lord, and that is one of total dependence. And we, we depend on prayer. And, and he, says, he says here, I think it's good. He talks about how we need to spend time in the word. And we need to pray. And he says, pastor, I expected some kind of exotic formula for the Christian life. You've taken me right back to prayer and Bible reading. <laughs> I heard that when I was just a new baby Christian. <laughs> he says this, do you know why you're no further along the road than you are? Because you didn't listen to the first time. He said, I've taken you back to prayer in the Bible reading because it's exactly where our text takes us. The means by which God is ordained for growing in grace are simple, not exotic. And if we bypass these simple means of the word and prayer, always on the prowl for some magical formula, we're doomed to go limping all of our days. Kel and I took uh, the last 24 hours to just evaluate and pray and to examine our spiritual lives and our marriage and our family and our, our ministry and our evangelism in our neighborhood and, and all these areas in our lives that, that we feel need to change. And not just resolving to change, but actually restructuring our lives to change. And, and I think that's where it all starts is that you have an honest self-examination. And you just say, man, this is where I'm at. And be honest about where you're at and say, okay, now this is where I'm at. Now I got to be here. So how do I get from here to here? And that's when you go to work on mortifying those habit patterns, patterns of speech and patterns of thought and patterns of action. And you, you work on changing those habits. And the way that we went about doing it was very simple. is just asking ourselves, what are the five things in our life that aren't pleasing to the Lord right now? What are the five things, the five areas in our lives that aren't pleasing to the Lord right now? And if you're as sinful as we are, we couldn't limit it to just five. We're like, oh man, where's the list, the spreadsheet, you know? But, but maybe start with just five and say, what are the five areas in my life that are not pleasing to the Lord? And so isolate those things and say, okay, what are the five ways that I want to be more pleasing to the Lord? And those two are connected. They're, they're interrelated. That's the principle of put off and put on, right? You, you, you determine the bad habit that you need to put off, but that's not good enough. You can't just say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. 
That don't work. You got to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And in its place, I have to do this instead. So you say, this is where I'm not pleasing the Lord. And this is what I need to do to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that. If you take a few moments, minutes, hours, take a day if you need to this next week. And work that through in your own heart, in your own life, your own family, your marriage, your ministry. You know, all this talk about pleasing the Lord, I would be unfaithful as a preacher of the word of God if I didn't also say that what I'm saying is absolutely impossible to do if you're not a Christian. If you have not repented of your sinful rebellion against God Almighty, and if you have not placed your faith in the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, then you cannot and will not please God. That's not my opinion. That's what God has told us in His Word. Two more verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. It says this, the mind set on the flesh, that's an unsaved mind, is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, doesn't submit to the word of God, doesn't obey the word of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot what? Please God. If you're in the flesh, in other words, you do not have the spirit of God in you, you cannot please God. You can't do anything that I've been talking about so far this morning. And then Hebrews 11, the great chapter on faith. Hebrews 11, verse 5, here's a great example of Enoch. Here you go, Gordon, your, your hero, Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to, the God, pleasing to God. Enoch was so pleasing to God, says, you know what, buddy? I'm not even going to make you go through death. I'm just taking you home. I don't know how it happened, but I know why it happened. People say, well, how did that happen? Who knows how it happened? I can tell you why it happened. Why? Because Enoch was so pleasing to the Lord, he just says, I'm not going to kill the guy. I'm just going to take him home. I'm not going to have him go through death. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. For who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And so there's the repentance, turning away from our sinful flesh and our sinful rebellion against the Lord, the hostility that we have towards God, and placing our faith in God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where pleasing God starts by getting saved. And some of you may need to do that this morning. Because you know you're not going to be pleasing to God in 2005 because you've never been pleasing to God. Because you're still not a Christian. And I call you to repent in faith this morning. A couple days ago, Kelly and I pulled out that old movie, Chariots of Fire. How many watched that movie, Chariots of Fire? If you haven't watched it yet, you can borrow my copy and keep it as long as you want. It's one of my favorite movies. And it's a story of Eric Little, the Scottish runner, who was a tremendous testimony for Jesus Christ. And, and uh, my favorite scene in the whole movie, and if you've seen it, you'll remember this, because to me, this is the scene. This is the crux of the whole movie. And it's set on a Scottish moor where Eric is talking with his sister Jenny about the timing of his return to missionary work in China because she was concerned for him. She was watching him get sucked into the Olympics and the, and the running and she was concerned that his commitment to running was taking priority over his commitment to, to serving the Lord and, and he knew that, he understood that and so he took her by the arm and he held her and he said, Jenny, he said, I believe that God has made me for a purpose, for China. He said, but he also made me fast. And he said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's awesome. 
And it pleased God to use Eric Little as a powerful testimony for Christ at those 1924 Olympics in Paris. Because when he found out that the event that he was, had been training for, the 100-meter dash, was the trials were on Sunday, he, he knew he couldn't compromise his conviction not to run on the Sabbath. And so he refused to race. And so somebody came on the team and, and said, well, okay, you can run in my race. And so they let him run in the 400 meter. And he stunned the athletic world by winning the gold in the 400 meter, which everybody said it was too, too long. He couldn't, he couldn't hack it that long. And he ended up returning to China and died in a Japanese internment camp just a few months before the end of World War II. But his life brought God pleasure. And it's my prayer that his life would inspire us because God made all of us for a purpose. He made us for his pleasure. And may we live our lives in such a way that we can say with Eric Little that we feel his pleasure. Let's pray. Father God, That is my desire, that I would live my life in such a way and that everything I say and that everything I do and everything I think and every motive of my heart, I feel your pleasure. I pray that pleasing you would be our daily passion as a church, as individuals who make up this church that our daily pursuit would be to find out what is pleasing to you and what is not pleasing to you, and that requires us to study your word like never before. And that our daily prayer would be, God, oh God, if you don't help us, we won't please you today. We can't please you today. So give us the desire, give us the ability to be pleasing to you today. And so, Lord... We ask that this would be the year of pleasing you. And not just the year of pleasing you, but this would be the passion of the rest of our life. And that is to please you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.